ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय Grace AC Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada, founder Acharya of Iskon. Anye Tweva Majananta, Shudvanye Bhya Upasate, Te Pichatit Tarantyeva, Mrityung Shuti Parayanaha. Again, there are those who, although not conversant in spiritual knowledge, begin to worship the Supreme Person upon hearing about Him from others. Because of their tendency to hear from authorities, they also transcend the path of birth and death. Purport. This verse is particularly applicable to modern society because in modern society there is practically no education in spiritual matters. Some of the people may appear to be atheistic or agnostic or philosophical, but actually there is no knowledge of philosophy. As for the common man, if he is a good soul, then there is a chance for advancement by hearing. This hearing process is very important. Lord Chaitanya, who preached Krishna consciousness in the modern world, gave great stress to hearing, because if the common man simply hears from authoritative sources, he can progress, especially, according to Lord Chaitanya, if he hears the transcendental vibration, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. It is stated, therefore, that all men should take advantage of hearing from realized souls and gradually become able to understand everything. The worship of the Supreme Lord will then undoubtedly take place. Lord Chaitanya has said that in this age, no one needs to change his position, but one should give up the endeavor to understand the absolute truth by speculative reasoning. One should learn to become the servant of those who are in knowledge of the Supreme Lord. If one is fortunate enough to take shelter of a pure devotee, hear from him about self-realization and follow in his footsteps, one will be gradually elevated to the position of a pure devotee. In this verse particularly, the process of hearing is strongly recommended and this is very appropriate. Although the common man is often not as capable as so-called philosophers, faithful hearing from an authoritative person will help one transcend this material existence and go back to Godhead, back to home. Anye tveva majananta shutvan yebhya upasate te pichatitrantyeva mrityung shuti parayanaha Again there are others, again there are those who, although not conversant in spiritual knowledge, begin to worship the Supreme Person upon hearing about Him from others. Because of their tendency to hear from authorities, they also transcend the path of birth and death. In this verse and purport, stress is placed upon the most essential point of hearing about Krishna from proper authorities. There are nine processes of devotional service of which hearing and chanting are the most important. Sometimes in Prabhupada's books we find that hearing is most important and sometimes we hear that chanting is most important. Actually, they're both most important. No one can chant unless he's heard. First of all, you have to hear what to chant. Then you can chant. 
and even while chanting, even though that chanting is sufficient in itself for complete purification and attainment of love of God, still simultaneous hearing is essential. We have to hear why we should chant and who we are chanting about. Because in the initial stages of devotional service, we're not very advanced, we're immature. We don't have developed taste for devotional service. So unless we regularly hear about why we should engage in devotional service, why we should chant, and how wonderful is this person, Krishna, about who we are chanting about, then we may very easily lose our enthusiasm. We also have to hear how to chant properly because in the initial stages we'll be chanting with so many offenses. So we have to hear about the proper attitude in devotional service. Real chanting means to chant without offenses. Now if we see the... When I say real chanting, that means chanting that will be very effective in to get the desired goal. The desired goal is love of Krishna. To attain love of Krishna, first we have to become free from all offenses and all... Uh, varieties of illusion. So, pure devotional service is manifest when we chant the names of Krishna purely. Purely means without offenses. So, if we see the offenses, they're mostly based upon uh, ignorance. That uh, to consider the names of Lord Brahma or Lord Shiva, or any demigods to be equal to or independent of the name of Lord Vishnu. That is one of the offenses against the holy name. So we have to hear about the supreme position of Krishna, how Krishna is above all the demigods, how he is the source, he is the source of all the demigods. And then we can be fixed in our conviction that Krishna alone is supreme. Then when we chant, we won't think that chanting Hare Krishna or Durga Durga is all the same because by hearing we will know clearly that Krishna is supreme. Or uh, other offenses to consider that chanting Hare Krishna is like some mundane pious activity recommended in the Karmakanda section of the Vedas for uh, attaining worldly piety which leads to worldly enjoyment. This is one of the offenses against the holy name. Again, it's based on ignorance. It's based on the uh, supposition that chanting Hare Krishna is simply like so one of the many activities in the Vedic literature, such as uh, visiting holy places with the, with the idea of getting some punya karma, some pious effect, or performing austerities or sacrifices with the aim of nullifying our sinful reactions and increasing our pious activities so that we can get uh, material enjoyment which comes from piety such as going to the heavenly planets. We may think chanting Hare Krishna, that's very pious. That's very good. If I chant Hare Krishna, then as a result, it's just, it's just like performing some sacrifice for attaining a fruitive result so, I'll chant Hare Krishna like that. But if we think that chanting Hare Krishna is simply some mundane, pious activity, if we don't understand who Krishna is and how his name is non-different from him and how chanting 
the holy names of Krishna is meant to be a fully transcendental activity for the attainment of love of God, if we don't have that understanding, if we think that chanting Hare Krishna is just another mundane pious activity, then that is an offense against the holy names. So how can these offenses be overcome? By knowledge. So knowledge means we have to hear. The, the root cause of all our problems is ignorance. What is, the root, what is our problem? Our problem is that we forgot Krishna. Krishna bhuli sejeev anadi bahimuk atev maya tare deya shangsharaduk. We're suffering in this material world because we forgot Krishna. And therefore, since time immemorial, we are envious of Krishna. We're, we're uh, bahimuk, we're indisposed to Krishna. Therefore, we are suffering miseries in this material world. Therefore, we have to hear about how we can actually become happy, how we can become f- free from all miseries. Now, what is that hearing to understand that I am the servant of Krishna? I have to serve Krishna. I am suffering in this material world because I am not serving Krishna. So hearing is essential. Hearing from the right person. Because there are many people with many different ideas. In the modern age we have many different kinds of so-called philosophies and there are many intelligent people in the world who are blessed by Krishna through the agency of his material energy with creative intelligence to invent many different kinds of philosophies. But actually real philosophy means to understand the truth as it is, which is again that Krishna is the supreme person. We are all his servants. So we have to, to understand that we hear, have to hear from proper authorities. Now in the modern age, this idea of an authority, spirit, uh, spiritual authority, it's not very popular. There is a common idea that anyone can have his own, propagate his own theory and any theory is as good as any other theory. And uh, someone who's more intelligent or more creative he is a good speaker, he's got many good ideas, so you can go and listen to him and take some ideas from him and maybe take some ideas from someone else. But this is not the proper process to gain knowledge, at least according to Vedic sources. According to Vedic sources, which is, actually if we consider it makes sense, that knowledge is fixed. Knowledge, knowledge and opinion are two different things. Nowadays, Many people are propagating their opinions as if it was knowledge. But actual knowledge means something which is fixed. It's not dependent upon opinion. Just like, what is the answer to the question? Two plus two equals what? It's not a matter of opinion. It's a fact. Two plus two equals four. It's not subject to anyone's opinion. 2 plus 2 equals 5, 2 plus 2 equals 7. It doesn't change. It's not that tomorrow 2 plus 2 will be equal to 5. 2 plus 2 is always equal to 4. Similarly, what is the nature of the Supreme Absolute Truth? It doesn't change from day to day. That is one of the very characteristics of the Absolute Truth. That it's not changeable. Our mind may change and therefore we may think that the Supreme Absolute Truth is like this or like that, but actually 
the nature of the Absolute Truth is unchanging. Therefore, to gain knowledge, we should find out from an authority, means someone who knows what is that Absolute Truth, instead of speculating with our own tiny brains to try to understand what is the actual fact. If you want to understand any subject, if you want to understand mathematics, even to understand 2 plus 2 equals 4 has to be explained to the young children at school. To us it seems axiomatic. But to the young child he has to be shown. Two apples, put together two more apples, makes four apples. Oh, okay, all right. Two plus two equals four. So, uh, what to speak of uh, higher mathematics, even in the, in the beginning, two plus two equals four has to be shown. Now, spiritual subject matter, uh, that is the most subtle, because we are dealing with that which uh, cannot be directly perceived. Therefore, many people... They don't have faith in spiritual subject matter at all because they only believe what they can see or what they can directly perceive with their senses. Although uh, it is more intelligent to at least suppose that reality does not comprise only that which we can perceive with our senses. And the existence of religious systems in the world and of mystic experience recorded by many people uh, over throughout history suggests that there is a plane of existence higher than the simply the gross bodily, sensual, mental or intellectual, the spiritual plane. So how to know about that? It's just like uh, knowing about any subject matter. You should learn from an authority. If you want to learn about higher mathematics, you have to be shown by an authority, it's, it's quite complex. Any subject matter, if you, if you think, I will become a doctor, what does a doctor do? What does a surgeon do? He cuts people's bodies open, and then he, he cuts around inside, and then he sews it up again. So, what's the big thing? I can be a surgeon too. Someone's sick, uh, you're at home, your sister says, I'm sick. Oh, don't worry, I'll do an operation. <laughs> I get a knife and cut you open and uh, cut some some things inside and sew it up again. I mean, that's what they do in the hospital, right? Why spend 10,000 rupees on an operation? I'll do it for you here at home. But who will agree to such an operation? You want to go to the best doctor. Who is the best doctor? One who has been trained, who has himself been trained in a, in a in an authorized reputable school and who himself has become experienced in how to perform operations. So similarly, if we want spiritual knowledge, we should go to someone who has learned from a competent and reputable authority and who himself has realized that knowledge and is competent to give to others. That is the meaning of a spiritual authority. Tadvigyanartam sagurum evabhigachet one should go to a spiritual authority who is Shrotriyang uh, Brahmanishtam, who has heard from other, that is his qualification. He is, uh, uh, he is heard and he is himself fixed up in that knowledge. 
and is therefore competent to guide others. Now that requires some faith. Here we see, we see that Krishna says, Shuti Parayana, one who is inclined to hear from the proper authorities. That requires some initial faith. Those who are skeptical, they cannot learn. Just like you are coming to hear because you have some faith. Those who are skeptical or are simply not interested due to lack of piety, they won't like to come and hear. There are many people who are skeptical. But as in any subject matter, you can't begin to learn unless you have some initial faith. The same thing, if you want to learn mathematics and the teacher is 2 plus 2 equals 4 and you start protesting. No, why? Why 2 plus 2 equals 4? Who do you think you are? Uh, I have my own idea. Uh, they, they come to calculus and they draw some Greek figures on the... But what is this all Greek? It's all rubbish. I can't, under, I can't understand it, therefore it's all rubbish. It, it actually means that you're a fool. You're a fool, you can't understand what calculus is, therefore you should be taught. But if you simply reject, no, no, this is all rubbish, I don't want to hear, then you remain a fool forever. And you may think I'm very intelligent, but you don't understand. And those who do understand, they, they can converse about each other. The, the, the mathematicians, they will converse with each other about calculus and higher levels of mathematics. But those who are foolish, they will say, oh, you see they're talking all this mumbo-jumbo because they don't understand, they simply reject. In the same way, those who have realized spiritual knowledge, they can understand the teachings of the scriptures and they discuss among themselves. But those who are foolish, who, re who reject to hear such instruction, they say, oh, I don't understand, therefore you're all speaking rubbish. Is it a very good proposition? Because you are a fool, you don't understand. But you are saying, they are foolish. I can't understand what they're saying, therefore they are talking nonsense. What, what kind of logic is this? So one should at least be somewhat faithful and be ready to hear. Then he can understand. That also step by step. Just like in the mathematics class, first they'll teach you 2 plus 2 equals 4, then 2 plus 3, 2 plus 1. All the addition, how to add, add up large figures, 1,722 plus 6,744, how to, then decimals, and then multiplication, learn your tables, 6 times 7 equals 42, learn it, you have to learn step by step. So similarly in spiritual life, first of all we have to learn ABC. You're not this body. We're eternal, spirit soul. Gradually we can understand who is Krishna, what is our relationship with him, how to act in that relationship. So step by step, knowledge will be given. Those who have a tendency to hear, they should hear and act upon that also. There is uh, one statement, Susu Shu Shodhana Syat Vasudeva Katarujihi Syat. What is that? Syat Mahat Sevanang Vipra Punyatirta Nishevanat. The same idea is given. Those who are eager to Susu Shu means 
eager to hear and serve. Real hearing doesn't simply mean you sit and hear as a kind of ritual. Sometimes we see that they organize Bhagavad Saptaha, in which people think, I will come and listen, I will get some punya. So they think, I'll just sit there for seven days. Sit. And there'll be some nice stories and they'll organize some tea party afterwards. So, very nice. Bhagavad Sapta. As a result, I'll be free from all my sins. And maybe I can go to Swargaloka. We'll have a tea party there also. But this is not real hearing. Real hearing means we should hear very attentively and we should be prepared to put that instruction in practice in our lives. So that is the difference between the Bhagavad Kata that you will hear here and some kind of entertaining Bhagavad Kata. There are many Bhagavad Katakas who speak very pleasingly. They may be very learned also and they can describe the pastimes of Krishna very nicely. But the real test of a speaker is his ability to change the heart of the hearer. Now mostly those who are coming for professional hearing, they don't want to get their heart changed. And the speaker, he knows. It's a kind of a, it's an unspoken contract. That the speaker will not say anything to disturb your material attachments. And the hearer, they're going to come, they'll give some donation and go away. And nothing will change. They'll go on being pious, but they won't change their life to becoming eager to dedicate their lives in the service of Krishna. Whereas a speaker like Shukadev Goswami, who is the original speaker of the, of course, the original speaker of the Bhagavatam is Krishna to Brahma, but Bhagavatam as we have it in its present form was first spoken widely publicly by Shukadev Goswami. So he spoke to Parikshit Maharaj as Parikshit needed to hear, not as he wanted to hear. It wasn't that Parikshit Maharaj had only seven days to live. Okay, let's give him some entertainment for seven days and then tell him, don't worry, you know, God will help you. We'll perform a nice ceremony for you after you die. We'll say, he was a jolly good fellow. And, all right, he was a jolly good fellow and so say all of us. No, Parikshit Maharaj wanted to speak some essential points. Shukadev wanted to speak some essential points to Parikshit Maharaj. Therefore, he spoke what was required. From the very beginning, he was uh, telling Parikshit Maharaj, don't be attached, now you have to die. Shotav yadini rajendra nunang santi sahasra shaha. Those who are overly attached in the bodily concept of life, in family of life, they don't like to hear the subject matter of Atma Tattva, the science of the soul. They will discuss so many things, but they will not discuss this. So from the very, very beginning, Shukadev was setting the tone, how you should hear. I've come here not to entertain you, Shukadev was telling Parikshit but to give you the vital information. Be detached from this material world and be attached to Krishna.
All right, I'm going to finish there because we have quite a lot of questions, I understand. So I'll start to take them now. Specifically, six questions from. Well, if you can't intellectually do it, why don't you try? Then you'll find out by experience. Just like if you have to learn to swim. So they may, standing on the shore, you can't learn. If there's a swimming pool or a river, so they're trying to show you how to swim. You go like this and you say, well, intellectually I can't really understand how, will I really float and... So the person just pushes you in. Now you have to swim. Not everything can be understood intellectually. If I try to explain to you the taste of rasam, can you understand intellectually? You have to taste it, then you can understand. Intellectually you can also understand that we are parts and parcels of Krishna. And it is our constitutional position to serve Krishna. So if we serve him, we become satisfied. Just like the tree. If you have to nourish the trees, branches, leaves, twigs, fruits, flowers. Do you put water on the... You go to each fruit, pour water on it. It won't benefit the fruit at all. You have to put it on the root. So similarly, Krishna is the root of all existence. If you satisfy him... We become satisfied. Or I'm feeling weak due to hunger. So should I try to inject some food into my fingers and arms and then it will become strong? There's a proper system. You should eat food through the mouth. It will go to the stomach and then the whole body will be nourished. So in the same way, if we satisfy Krishna, we become satisfied. If you can't understand it intellectually, just try to serve Krishna and you'll find out experientially. No, the basic principle of all these relationships, the relationship of the friend to Krishna, the lover to Krishna, the parent to Krishna, the basis is service. Every living being is constitutionally a servant of the Supreme Lord because he is supreme, he is great. So naturally the position of the small in relation to the great is to serve him. So the basis of all the relationships is service. But when, when a living being wants to serve Krishna more, when his service mode becomes more intense, his desire to please Krishna is more, then he may be a friend, a parent, a lover, 
there's closer intimacy which is more pleasing to Krishna. Ultimately, what does service mean? It means to please the person who is served. So, uh, a, a friend of a person, in, in one sense, someone's friend, there's a service because there's an exchange of talk and activities. So, friend means you have to be together. There have to be two people. So, they're both serving each other by being friends to each other. Similarly, the parents serve the, the children even more intimately than an official servant because they give their life practically for the children. And a lover, that service is the most intimate uh, by its very nature. The uh, conjugal love is very intimate. So that re- only someone who has got a very deep sense of surrender to Krishna can become a lover of Krishna. Anyway, these other rasas or relationships with Krishna, they can develop when one is firmly fixed in his position of servitorship. Then other rasas may be conferred upon the devotee. It's not something that we should start to think, well, am I a friend of Krishna or we're still, we're still maintaining our mundane friendships. First we should be firmly fixed in our position of servitorship to Krishna and then the other rasas, Sakyaras, Vatsalyaras, Madhuryaras, they can develop. But they don't, in one sense it may appear externally that it dilutes the sense of servitorship. And in one sense that's true, but it, it's not, it's diluted because there's, there's a higher nectar, another kind of nectar which is mixed in. Those who are friends of Krishna, they have an intimacy with Krishna that is not there with, with the servant. The servant is always in a mood of awe and reverence. The friend is more loose and free. He can, a friend can slap another friend on the back. The servant can't do that to a master. But that is more pleasing to Krishna. But only by his liberated devotees. We can't do that. You follow the process of devotional service. Devotional service means bringing us in contact with Krishna by hearing about Him, chanting about Him, serving Him. So the high, what is the higher taste? The higher taste is service to Krishna. So by performing sadhana bhakti or the basic principles of devotional service, then naturally our taste, it's a natural thing. It naturally awakens. Superconsciousness means Krishna consciousness. At the moment our consciousness is dull. We're only 
we're only aware of this material world, but what is the nature of this material world we're not aware of. But when we hear from authorities about Krishna and engage in Krishna's devotional service, we understand that I'm not this body, I'm not the mind, I'm not the senses, I'm an eternal servant of Krishna. And we see everything in this material world in relationship to Krishna. Then our Krishna consciousness develops. Prabhupada used this term Krishna consciousness. He deliberately chose this term. He didn't just choose it arbitrarily or whimsically. The goal of the Dhyana Yoga system, which is being described by Krishna in this chapter, is to see the Lord within the heart. But then having seen Him in the heart, what are you supposed to do? What is the constitutional position of the soul? To serve Krishna. So having gone to all that trouble, you finally see Krishna in the heart, and then you're supposed to progress to serve Krishna. So the devotees worship Krishna in the form of the deity. That means they're already on a higher platform because they're serving Krishna so automatically by taking to bhakti yoga, you already you automatically, even in the most neophyte stage, you surpass the stage of the yogi who's just trying to see the Lord in the heart. He's trying with so much difficulty to see the Lord within the heart, but the devotee automatically sees him in his deity form. And serve not only sees but serves. So he's automatically on a higher platform. Hmm. Mm. And there are uh, a number of solar systems in our Milky Way galaxy, and there are numerous such galaxies in the universe. According to our Shastras, it is mentioned that there are 14 Lokas. And has there been a comparative study made between the Vedic cosmology and the modern cosmology? There has. One of our devotees, Sada Putadas, he's published a book and has given several, uh, made several video shows about this. I think that book may be in our library here, Vedic Cosmography and Astronomy. So if you like, you can see that. Personally, I don't care too much. However this world is formulated, it's a dump. We should get out of here. Let's go back to Godhead. And as far as uh, apparent differences between the modern science and Shastra, Shastra must be correct because it's given by God who made this universe. The scientists, they can only see from telescopes. So it's like a, an ant is crawling around. How much can an ant perceive? He has limited sens sensory ability and limited intelligence. We are tiny, tiny living beings 
on a tiny planet in a huge universe. How much can we understand? And we're only at a very... We're only at one point in time. But the universe, according to... According to modern astronomers, the universe, as we, if we, when we see the stars at night, that's not how the universe is at present anyway, because it's taken so much time for the light from the stars to reach us. Any other questions? Hmm. Supreme, Supreme God. What is the difference between Supreme God and Supreme Absolute Truth? There is no difference. This is discussed, if you read, this, this is a very interesting point actually. If you see Srimad Bhagavatam, in the introduction, Srila Prabhupada discusses this point. He's, he writes that the conception of God and the conception of the Absolute Truth are not on the same level. That generally people think of God, uh, there are different gods who you worship, but the absolute truth is beyond the different gods. But the, abs- but the Srimad Bhagavatam establishes that the absolute truth is Krishna. So generally people conceive of the absolute truth as being impersonal and that there are various gods who are manifested within this world uh, and, but they are all subordinate to the impersonal feature of the absolute truth. But the actual position as established by Shastra, particularly in Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the topmost Vedic Shastra, is that Sri Krishna is himself the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the Supreme Absolute Truth. There is no difference because the impersonal, under, the impersonal feature of the Absolute Truth is only one of the features of Krishna, not that Krishna is a feature of the impersonal Absolute. You please study this uh, introduction to the Srimad Bhagavatam. It answers this question very nicely. Then also you'll find in the second chapter of Bhagavatam, there's an explanation of this. Vedanti tat tatva vedas tatvam yajjnanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti shabhyate. That learned scholars and transcendentalists understand the absolute truth in three phases, namely the impersonal absolute, the localized absolute, and the supreme absolute, the supreme absolute personality of Godhead. In fact, to understand this point clearly. You should read all of Prabhupada's books several times. It's often a source of misunderstanding, this point. Any other question, please? Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma being great devotees of Krishna, why can't they save us from the illusion of Maya? They can and they do through their sampradayas. We are coming in the Brahma Sampradaya. Brahma, Madhva, Gauriya, Vaishnav Sampradaya. And Lord Shiva, he also has his Sampradaya, which is coming down as the Vishnu Swami or Rudra Sampradaya. Now that's Vallabh Sampradaya. So they do. But if we worship the various demigods, thinking themselves, think, thinking them to be uh, gods on the same level as Vishnu, then by that kind of worship we cannot attain liberation. By following their instructions to worship Lord Vishnu, then we can be released from Maya. But if we're in the misconception that Lord Vishnu is not supreme and all the demigods are all the same, then by that misunderstanding we cannot be released from Maya. Because that's 
another kind of maya, it's another misunderstanding. Hmm. How can that be understood? Krishna says in Bhagavatam, Mad Bhakta Puja Badika, worship of my devotee is more important than me. So he himself sets the example. Krishna worships his devotees as much as his devotees worship him. Actually, this is not stated in the original Valmiki Ramayana. But even if Lord Ram does worship Lord Shiva, then that's, uh, that doesn't nullify the Shastric conclusion that Lord Vishnu is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We see even a, a perverted reflection of that in this material world, that the, the, dog and the, the master and the dog, but practically the dog acts as the master, that's a perverted reflection that the master also serves the servant because he has affection. You had another question? There is only a very brief description of Jolok Vrindavana in the Bhagavad Gita. There, Srila Prabhupada says, describes it as Chintamani Dhamma. Directly in Gita, that is uh, not referred to. Krishna refers to his Dham. Yeah, in the purports. Golok Dham, that is described specifically in the Brahma Sanghita, that beyond this material world there is the spiritual world, there, where there are innumerable Vaikuntha planets. The topmost Vaikuntha planet is called Golok Vrindavan, where there are three divisions, Dwarka, Mathura and Vrindavan. So that is the topmost abode. That you'll find detailed description that you have to study Prabhupada's books. You'll find that there. Chintamani Prakara Sadmasu Kalva Riksha Laksha Vriteshu Surabhirabipalayantam Lakshmi Sahasrashata Sam Brahma Sevyamanam Govindavadi Purusham Tamahambajami. There everything is made of Chintamani, wish fulfilling stones. There are wish-fulfilling trees. That devotees, their only desire is to serve Krishna. So the trees supply all that they may require to do that. There are many Lakshmis, not exactly Vaikuntha Lakshmis, but Gopis, Prema Lakshmis, Vraja Lakshmis, who's innumerable, who serve Krishna. Krishna is tending the cows in Golok Vrindavan. Any other question? What is the ideal time for sleeping? As little as possible. Chan Hari Krishna more. Sleep less. But as we are conditioned souls, we need to rest our body. So sleeping is best at night. That The one name for Rakshasa is Nishacha means those who stay up all night. So in the modern age, we see, traditionally people in India used to rest early and rise early and chant Hare Krishna. Now they stay up late watching all nonsense videos and get up late. So they've all become Rakshasas. Best time for eating? Well, I mean this... Best time for eating according to Ayurveda is midday. When the sun is strong, 
Yogis are not recommended to eat at night. Everyone in India eats at night. Do what is necessary to maintain your body and health for serving Krishna. It may be different for different people. Anything else? I couldn't hear. Devotees creating new philosophies? Ah. I can't hear. Why don't you come closer? Ah. 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 Philosophers who invent, who invent different kinds of theories get many followers. Do they have the sanction of the Lord? Well, they're not pleasing to the Lord, but they have His sanction, just like, not exactly sanction, but just, everyone in this material world, they're allowed by Krishna to play out their role in Maya. And someone who has some pious activities, he may misuse that. Who has got Hitler got power? So in one sense you could say it's sanctioned by the Lord. Not that the Lord, not that Krishna wants such a horrible slaughter, but he was, he was, 